Welcome to Outdoor Adventures with Jason. Each week, I bring the world of hunting, fishing, and conservation to you. From the great hunting and fishing opportunities found in the Americas to the dream safaris located on the dark continent beyond, I'll introduce you to those who are already out in the field living every outdoor enthusiast's dream, as well as outfitters and gear manufacturers that can make those dreams your reality. Welcome to another episode of Outdoor Adventures with Jason. Uh, today, I've got a really good guest on. I'm talking with Mark Holyoke of the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, an organization that's uh, very dear to my heart as they work diligently to protect uh, the elk found the elk species throughout the United States and uh, even maybe into Canada. But we'll have Mark fill us more in. And uh, welcome, Mark. Hey, I uh, appreciate the opportunity to be with you, Jason. Well, great. So tell me a little bit about uh, how long you've been with the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation and what exactly do you do for them? I've been uh, with RMEF for, oh, four, four and a half years now, um, and I, uh, I'm the director of communication, which basically means that I uh, oversee all sorts of internal and external communication efforts. So I uh, oversee the uh, the good staff of the Bugle magazine, um, drum up news releases, social media, uh, all sorts of marketing content, and just kind of anything and everything communication related that has to do with uh, with uh, elk and the elk foundation. Now, fantastic. Now, you didn't come from another outdoor industry, but were uh, in the television industry, if I understood that correct. Right, right. I was uh, actually. You know, you uh, turn on your TV, and I was one of those talking faces you see on your local news for for 24 years. I uh, I started in Topeka, Kansas, where I was a sports director at an ABC affiliate, and uh, moved out to uh, Spokane, Washington after 10 years there, and spent four years in Spokane doing the same thing. And uh, at that point, I eventually made it to uh, Missoula, Montana, where I worked for a CBS affiliate, just uh, like I would like it was a CBS affiliate in Spokane. But uh, I transitioned from sports to news, and so I was one of the main, uh, the frontline news anchors there, your nightly news anchor, and had an opportunity to get to know all sorts of folks and um, really develop some some great ties with uh, not just the community, but with the hillsides and the landscapes and. Um, some great fly fishing waters, and just absolutely loved my time um, here in Montana. It's a it's a great place to be. Oh, fantastic! Now, that have you grown up in hunting, fishing throughout your life, or is this something new as you enter in with the RMEF? No, I. Uh, interesting. My my folks both grew up in Southern Utah. Um, I never lived there. I spent the majority of my life actually growing up in Kansas. Uh, I was born in New Orleans, uh, spent three years up in Calgary, Alberta, Canada as well. Um, my folks uh, both grew up uh, hunting and fishing. Uh, it was a way of life. It was a way of substance, substance, sustenance, that is, for their families. And uh, so the only time I, I ever went big game hunting was when I was probably about 11 or 12 with my dad in Canada. And uh, so I wasn't really exposed to it a lot, even though I've, you know, I grew up with a 22 in my hands and, you know, shot a lot of varmints and that sort of thing. Um, but it wasn't until I moved to Montana, um, oh, about, what, 13, 14 years ago, and uh, I was at uh, church in the fall, and all these guys are flashing their, you know, their hunting pictures to each other on their phones, and it was like, you know, I need to go figure this out. So I grabbed my son, who at that time was, oh, he was probably eight or nine, and we started going out and hiking hills and hunting ridges and 
started taking some deer and that sort of thing. And then as he grew up and got old enough and went through hunter safety and had his own license and, you know, he started having some success as well. So it's been uh, basically 13 years I've hunted for big game, um, for elk and for deer, and, and just absolutely love it. I was out this past weekend up in the tops of the mountains, and, you know, the colors that are out, and we were up uh, where there was some, some slight uh, snowfall and that sort of thing. And so uh, I just I just love, love being outside, and I'm incredibly blessed to have – the opportunity to work for an organization that is what it is and encourages us to, you know, not only get out and enjoy it, but to, to look after our natural landscape. That's fantastic. Now, thinking back over the times, what's probably been one of your favorite hunts that you've done? Well, I think my it would have to be it would have to be with my son at my side, uh, and probably. Uh, the first, I'd have to say the first time that he, he took his first deer. And um, it was great. It was funny, actually. We were kind of up on a side hill, and there was, there was uh, a few deer, that white-tailed deer, that were, they were only like 35, 40 yards away. And we just perched ourselves up there and kind of stood there. And, and one walked by, and another walked by, and, and I'm standing there next to him, with my fingers in my ears, just waiting for him to pull the trigger, thinking, pull the trigger, pull the trigger, pull the trigger. And he wasn't. And uh, finally, the last deer in this little group had passed to where it was perfectly even or parallel with us and gone uphill a little more. And I was just about ready to say, pull the trigger. And he finally did and dropped it right on the spot. And so um, it, was, it, was, um, it was an amazing moment to, to not just have that with him, but more importantly, to go up and, and you know, kind of, be that close to the deer and have him have those sensations of, you know, the emotions that are involved of, of, uh, you know, taking a life and feeling what that's like and putting your hand on the deer and then taking it home and hanging it and skinning it and processing it ourselves and then being able to, to put it in the freezer and, <clears throat> excuse me, and provide for, uh, for, um, myself and my wife and my three daughters as well. Uh, so it was just, uh, it was it was a great moment and um, something that's uh, meant a lot to him and I over the years as we continue to go out and hunt together. Oh, great! Now, have you been able to introduce your daughters or your uh, spouse, your wife, to hunting? Um, there, you know, they appreciate it and enjoy it. My wife is actually from Texas, and she's uh, warm blooded and does not like to get out in the cold <laughs> so much. Uh, my daughters, uh, I've taken. I've taken two of them out. Uh, one of them said she didn't really like being outside where she couldn't speak for three hours straight. Like she wanted to raise her voice as per usual and, and didn't really like the hush-hush talk, so it was really kind of funny. Um, so they, you know, they, they've grown up, and that's what we eat is, is, is venison. So they've grown up with it, and they appreciate it. But uh, the girls, anyway, don't actively do it. Although my wife actually is threatening to go out bow hunting with me next fall since bow hunt is in September and it's warm enough. So, uh, that actually would be a lot of fun. So we'll see if that happens. Oh, that's great. It's always good to both introduce folks to the hunting, uh, field just to keep the numbers growing. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And, and, you know, like I said, the thing that's, that's just so great is when, uh, is when my son and I are out and if we do have success, we'll, we'll text back a photo and, automatically we get responses from all our family members who are who are excited because they know that 
you know that there will be back back straps on the barbecue very soon and and just an opportunity to to enjoy that side of the hunt i guess the the effects of the hunt too so they're they're all very supportive and they all they all really enjoy the season as well great it is a great bonding and uh time to spend with everybody enjoying i i had a friend that just took his first animal ever he took a cow elk in arizona and he's all mm-hmm. excited and he's got the bug now so uh He's, it's neat to watch. Uh, yeah, and you know, aside from that, it's, as you know, and, and folks that know uh, the hunt, I mean, it's just good meat. I mean, um, deer's good. Elk is especially good, in my opinion. Um, I mean, I'm not saying that just because of where I work, but, you know, if you've ever had the opportunity to have it, or if you haven't, maybe you should seek out an opportunity. It's similar to, you know, beef except just not fatty there's just the fat just doesn't exist and um you know one of the things that we like to do that i i was fortunate to take a cow elk uh, last year as well is in the processing uh in my garage i have a little grinder and grinding up the meat and you know everyone does it different what they what they like some like to put a little fat mixed in you know my wife prefers not to and you know so that 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 meat that elk meat is so fat-free that you can't make, if you don't add anything to it, you can't make patties out of it. You can't make burgers. You know, it makes for great you know, tacos and those sorts of things. Um, of course, there's all those other cuts of meat, the you know, the roasts and the steaks and all that sort of thing. But the, the meat itself is just, it's good, it's healthy, you know where it's been. Um, if you're up on the landscape, you can see what they eat. And uh, so you have a pretty good idea where that meat's been, as opposed to maybe sometimes what you get in the grocery store, you might not, you know, you might not know its background. So, so for for me, that's just kind of an added bonus as well. Oh, I, I completely agree. Now, with working with the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, uh, would you mind spending some time and giving a little background to the listeners about the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation for those that aren't familiar with it? Oh, yeah, no problem. Um, well, we have uh, approximately 220,000 members as of last year. And, uh, you know, it's interesting, and I thought this as well when I first came on, I thought, well, you know, most of the elk are out west, generally speaking, so most of the membership's out west, and that's, that's not true. Uh, most of the elk are out west, but if you were to take the United States and basically cut it into thirds, um, our membership is, is pretty much the same, you know, maybe a difference of five, eight, ten, twelve thousand between your, your east section, your middle section, and your west section of the United States. So, so we're spread out uh, in our chapters, uh, more than 500 chapters all across the nation pretty well. The, uh, the mission of uh, the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation is to ensure the future of elk of their habitat or other wildlife, their habitat and our hunting heritage. So what we do is um, we're, we're a conservation organization. We work to, to conserve and enhance habitat that's out there. And we do that through a variety of methods, through uh, um, forest thinning, uh, prescribed burns, noxious weed treatments, the installation of water sources or wildlife guzzlers in arid regions where there's not a lot of water. And so we'll, we'll, we'll finagle these contraptions and stick them in the ground so that they gather rainwater and store it. So uh, in a place like Arizona, um, for example, where it can be really dry and those water sources can be available for elk and deer and all sorts of other critters that, that need water um, at the most arid times of year. So, well, to, to, uh, to date so far, we've uh, conserved or protected approximately 7 million acres of wildlife habitat. Um, 
permanent land protection is another part of our of our mission. Um, we'll seek to uh, to 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 find uh, tracts of land out there that's important to wildlife and to permanently protect it, uh, either through putting conservation easements on it or through purchasing it and then conveying it to like the local fish and game or the Bureau of Land Management or the U.S. Forest Service, so it becomes everyone's land, so it's accessible to everyone, not just hunters, but anglers, campers, hikers, huckleberry pickers, whatever people like to do out there on the landscape. So that's involved. Of course, we're, uh, we're involved with uh, elk restoration projects um, in various states. Uh, most recently, uh, we've been involved in um, putting more elk on the ground in Wisconsin, uh, just in the last couple of years, elk are back on their native landscape where they used to be in Virginia and in Missouri. And come uh, either next month or, or I should say either November, December, or January, they'll be back on the ground in West Virginia for the first time in more than 100 years. And so it's it's great opportunity for us to to work with local land managers, local governments, um, hunters, non-hunters, whoever, just to work to to get elk back on some of the places where they used to be, and uh, that's an exciting thing. We were involved with the, uh, the elk uh, relocation program in Kentucky, which actually started with a handful of elk from Kansas and then brought in a few from other places, and and in just like the last 15, 20 years, now there's more than 10,000 elk in Kentucky, which is a, a crazy good conservation success story. And I guess the other, the other uh, couple of facets we're involved in is doing all we can to ensure our hunting heritage, um, working with um, youth and educators and sponsoring camps for uh, youth and men and women and other folks who just, you know, like to know more about the outdoors, um, hunting, conservation, those sorts of things. And then we also advocate for various uh, efforts that are out there legislatively, um, things that are important to uh, the conservation world and to uh, hunters and anglers as well, just to to make sure our voice is heard um, so that our lawmakers are making decisions that, that benefit our landscapes. Yeah, the Kentucky story is a, really an amazing story is in conservation. And for anybody that's on the East Coast that thinks they have to drive a long distance for elk, they can put in for a Kentucky tag. Uh, I grew up in Michigan, which had a, a good elk restoration story, but those tags are limited to just Michigan residents. Where Kentucky, I think they have a fair number that can go to out-of-state residents. And so while all your friends might be headed out west, you can head the other direction to have a completely different hunting experience. Right, right. And, uh, you know, they're, they're also, uh, there's a decent elk herd up in Pennsylvania. Um, there's, there's elk in uh, Tennessee and North Carolina, although on a much more limited basis. You know, Arkansas, uh, Kansas, Nebraska. I believe at last count that we have approximately 28 states um, in the in the lower 48, or well, I guess that includes Alaska as well. But 28 states that have wild, free-ranging elk herds that are managed as such. And so, you know, that's a lot more than people might think. People might think, you know, it's just out west, but they are they are uh, scattered around the country. And even those that have been reestablished recently, uh, like Virginia, like Missouri, uh, the goal is to is to grow those herds to a size that that fit the habitat on the landscape, but uh, hopefully open the door for some hunting opportunity at the same time. So, so yeah, there, there's the Kentucky story is is definitely a grand one, and uh, and should be celebrated continually. 
um, there are there are just many other uh, success stories around the nation as well. That's fantastic. So with that, you mentioned uh, seven million acres, roughly, that have been protected. Are those all just in North America, or do you cover into Canada as well? No, we're we're pretty much in the United States. There was a time when we were involved up in Canada, um, but the a, a lot of the rules and regulations and the red tape just made it difficult to do the type of conservation work we can we can carry out a bit more easily down in the United States. So we're pretty much uh, limited to the United States, even though we do have members in Canada and uh, I want to say something like 25 other countries around the world. Oh, wow. So that is a major amount of landscape that's been put under uh, various types of conservation management. The other thing that a lot of folks don't realize is that benefits mule deer, white-tailed deer, down to the smallest animal that can live on that land. So anything that that benefits will you start off with the elk, it really carries across a number of different species. It really does. And, and you know, one of the one of the big uh, buzzwords out here, out west, is sage grouse. Um, the you know that's a species that ha- that's had some issues, and there was a, a potential that it was going to go on the endangered species list. But because of a lot of effort from a lot of folks, a lot of agencies, private landowners, just all sorts of people who care, um, and have made a difference, is it, it, you know it, it has not been the sage grouse has not been uh, been, been listed, and one thing we've noticed is whenever you spice, you spice up elk country, you spice up sage grouse country in particular. And but you're right, there's so many other parallels. I mean, the mule deer as well, whitetail, um, and, and of course there's a trickle down and trickle trickle up effect as well that benefits, you know, coyotes and grizzlies and black bears and all sorts of um, um, predators and raptors and songbirds. I mean, you name it, it, it goes on and on. And when you have good quality conservation work on the ground and folks carry out projects that um, where they know what they're doing of course there's a there's a carryover to uh, also the fisheries as well you know and taking care of you know uh, rivers and streams and the headwaters of various uh, systems and and so there's there's a benefit across the board which makes it great for those of us who are just on you know two legs us humans who are running around out here and there's just so much to, to see and enjoy great so you've mentioned a couple times fishing i is uh fly fishing one of your passions as well i do it is it's something that uh that i picked up since i've been out here i i grew up uh, i guess uh, uh a, a nightcrawler fisherman yeah it's just what i was introduced to as a kid but when i got out here and again and moved to montana and realized that i had a number of friends who were doing it went out with several of them and next thing you know for christmas one year my wife's uh worked with one of my friends and got me a box of, you know, all sorts of feathers and weights and this, that, and the other. And so I learned how to tie flies. And so where I live is, is uh, our, our national headquarters are in Missoula, Montana, which is in western Montana. And actually in Missoula, there this is where three rivers come together, the Clark Fork, the Bitterroot, and the Blackfoot. A lot of folks might... Uh, might not recognize those by names, but the Blackfoot has to do with uh, the movie A River Runs Through It. So um, there's just some great fishing here, and then all the small streams that feed into those. And so, yeah, I'm in the summer, to me, one of my favorite things is to be out on a hot August day with just you know my fishing boots on and shorts on and just wading through a small stream and just uh, spending the afternoon fly fishing. It's great. Love it. Uh, and just like with elk meat, the 
the wild caught fish is generally very very good for you and uh, i hope your family enjoys all that as well my wife does i'm not a fishing guy fish guy myself <laughs> i i just love to catch them and put them back but uh, she'll say hey bring me back uh, bring me back a couple tr- trout every so often so well you know she's smarter than i am too i guess that's one of the reasons but uh, i just i just enjoy the fishery as as the uh, as a sport, um, and I'll eat fish, don't get me wrong, and uh, my folks grew up on fish, and I actually have eaten a lot of fish in my past. And In fact, it's funny, it's one of those things like, you know, when you go camping, how everything tastes better camping. Mm-hmm. When you go out and you catch a fish and you camp, um, last summer we were backpacking with a bunch of Boy Scouts, and we did that. And Yeah, it tastes great over the fire, but uh, generally speaking, um, when I'm fishing, I just like to be out in the water. Well, great. So as we look through this, you know, you've really managed to take a passion and turn it into a career um, and in support of the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation for all of the listeners that might not be members tell them what uh, uh, some benefits of joining the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation is and then also uh, how they best could do that well the most important thing is, is is if you're involved with the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation or you know really with any other conservation type organization whether it's you know Ducks Unlimited or you know, the National Wild Turkey Federation or whoever, um, those dollars that you donate um, through through membership fees and that sort of thing, um, that's what we put on the ground, and that's what makes a difference out there in everything that we do. I mean, I already mentioned the, the conservation, the land protection, the elk restoration, the hunting heritage, all those things. The dollars uh, that come from our members that are raised at banquets, um, that just come through the mail, are put back on the ground, and that's what we do. Uh, and, and that's really kind of the bottom line. Um, we have a, um, a little short phrase we live by because we know that it's true, and that is that hunting is conservation. And part of that is um, not just the funds that come from when, when folks go out and they, they purchase deer tags or elk tags or pronghorn tags or whatever, um, but also when they buy... Uh, guns, ammunition, archery equipment, there's an excise tax that's on that equipment, 11%, which automatically goes toward conservation efforts and recreational efforts around the nation. And, and that raises more than $1.1 billion a year. And then um, those, uh, the donations that are made to groups like RMEF, like uh, if you take all those organizations with ducks and others together, that's more than $440 million a year. Again, and that money's turned around and put on the ground. So and the bottom line is, is, is when you're involved with uh, a conservation organization like ours, that just being those membership dues make a difference. Yeah, you get a magazine for it. Um, you get some discounts through um, through RMEF for our sponsors and that sort of thing. Browning, Sitka, you know, Winchester, et cetera. There's a long list. But the bottom line is, is, is those those dollars that that folks uh, use to pay for membership are put on the ground and that's really what it's all about right that and uh, i encourage everybody to go out and join and then get involved with your local chapters uh everybody carries on a bunch of unique things uh and they have different projects that can be involved with and uh, i just can't say enough about the organization and we and we appreciate that and you know if you're looking for more information it's simple um just log on go to rmef org. Um, you'll see all sorts of information. You can read about the various uh, timely issues and 
conservation projects that we have are involved, and there's also a link there that shows various levels of membership. Uh, we have a youth membership as well that's uh, that's only twenty dollars uh, twenty dollars a month, and our, the youth that are under the age of eighteen get a uh, a weekly newsletter with all sorts of good stuff in it. And um, but you can join on whatever level you see fit, whatever works. And and again, we just appreciate. Um, not just all those who are involved as members, but we really appreciate our volunteers. They're the ones that crack the whip on the local chapters and, and raise so much funds that, that are put back on the ground in their home states. And so that's a really cool thing. Well, fantastic. Well, Mark, I really appreciate the time. Uh, you know, as, as again, this is a great organization. In the show notes, I'll have the way to get in, uh, the website to access Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation as well as if you go out to outdooradventureswithjason.com or for the short www.oawjs.com, there's an actual, you'll see the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation uh, logo. Click on that and it'll take you right to their website. And uh, that's a great way to get involved. There's always a great number of fundraisers that they're doing to use that money to put it back on the ground. And again, Mark, I thank you for your time. I appreciate it, Jason. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Have a great day. So grab your guns and shells, boys. Put on your camouflage. Because we command the outdoors around here. We command the outdoors.